You are listening to Rites of Passage, a reconciliation podcast brought to you by Chapter One and the Kitchener Public Library. During this episode of the Rites of Passage, a Reconciliation podcast, we talk about who the Haudenosaunee people are, the Haldeman track along the Grand River, and aspects of Haudenosaunee Confederacy governing structure. We talk about Haudenosaunee philosophy and foundational principles. Dr. Svensson and I also discuss reconciliation. That is my Kiuga name, which means the rites, rites of passage under the field before the forest. Um, my name, my English name is Kelly Fran Davis. I'm Six Nations or Haudenosaunee from the Grand River Territory, and I'm an Indigenous consultant, researcher, instructor at Wilford Laurier, and I'm with my colleague and good friend Stephen Svensson. Ah. Well, that's nice, Kelly. Yeah, so I'm I'm Stephen Svensson, and I grew up on the traditional territory of the Splajin uh, people, which are the southernmost job or southernmost group of the Sekwekmek or the Shuswap or what is known as the Shuswap people in, in roughly in the in the border between the North Okanagan and Shuswap. Um, but now I currently live in Kitchener-Waterloo on the Haldeman Tract on land that had been promised to Six Nations of the Grand River and I teach at Wilfrid Laurier in Sociology, Global Studies and Communication Studies. Nice. So I'm glad you brought up about the Haldeman Track and um, it being promised land to the Six Nations people or the Haudenosaunee people. I just want to elaborate a bit on that and um, say that it was promised to be protected land. So six miles on each side of the Grand River was to be left unsettled and protected so that the Haudenosaunee could maintain their traditional way of life. I was going to tell a bit about the Haudenosaunee people and maybe talk about some of the philosophy of the good mind. Um, I think that's our focus for today, actually. (laughs) The Haudenosaunee people were originally the five uh, nations, the League of the Five Nations, which were the Seneca, Cayuga, Oneida, Onondaga, and the Mohawk. And later, I think it was 17th century, mid to late 17th century, the Tuscarora were adopted into our confederacy as well. You know, I think for for probably many people that are that are listening, uh, Haudenosaunee. What is what does that mean? I mean, I know what it means, but yeah. you know, I'm still learning a lot, and and I'm a settler on this territory. And to be honest, when I, on the territory that I grew up on, the Splajin of the Splajin people, I was really completely oblivious. Even though I went to to school with Indigenous kids on the bus, and uh, even played on sports teams with Indigenous kids. But I mean, in the in the time that I grew up in the 70s and and 80s, you know, really, we didn't really know much about mm-hmm. the people on whose territory we were living. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the Haudenosaunee. What Haudenosaunee means is people building a longhouse. So there was our original five nations that were neighbors in upper state New York. And um, in the early 11th century, 
So at that time, there was conflict amongst these nations, and uh, we have what we call the peacemaker. Given this uh, message that we needed to unite as people, as nations, we needed to come together because of um, you know the great law of peace, which was given to our people because of the things that were happening amongst the nations at the time. So. Yeah, so we were asked to, or instructed, I guess, to build this longhouse that would extend for miles between um, the border of the Seneca people where they resided and all the way over to where the Mohawk people resided. And this was a very long stretch of territory in upper state New York. So it was uh, given, we were given the idea of you know, let's live under one roof together and let's unite and let's help each other because, you know, other things are coming because our people are very, um, live by prophecy. And so, yeah, so we were, so that's how we became Haudenosaunee. And that's why they call that people building a longhouse because we're extending our family. So um, I think we should talk a bit about the philosophy of the good mind. This is when we were offered this opportunity to live that way of life, um, again, by the what we call the peacemaker. And um, so when, when he brought our leaders together, and he gave this idea of, you know, being thankful and to live in that way of appreciating our natural environment and whatnot, he planted this tree and he said, this tree represents the tree of peace, you know, and under this tree of peace is where all the weapons will be buried. There will be no more warring amongst uh, the Haudenosaunee people. Um, and he talked about how we need to acknowledge and appreciate everything in creation. Because when we look at how small we are within this whole ecosystem and we start to acknowledge all of those things in creation, it brings our minds to a very good place. So this is the philosophy of the good mind. And so the objective of that, ganyo hanyo, or the words that come before all else, is to raise our minds to a good place, to bring all of our minds together in gratitude and appreciation and optimism. So... We have this speech that I've heard um, one gentleman who has now passed, his name was Hiram Miller. He spoke in the Seneca language and he spoke at the Seneca Longhouse at Six Nations for an hour and a half delivering this, what we call the Thanksgiving address in English. We always start with the people and we talk about the people first because there's people in our lives that impact our lives in good ways. There's people that impact our lives in not the greatest ways, but we're to acknowledge those experiences as well because those are, they say those are our greatest teachers, right? So we're to acknowledge all people in our lives and all people around the world because it's our first family. So at the end of that acknowledgement, the speaker will say, now our minds are one. 
And that's the objective is to say, okay, bring our minds together in a good place. Forget about all our worries and responsibilities and everything else for a moment and just acknowledge and appreciate the people. And then the speaker will go on to talk about Mother Earth and everything on Mother Earth, below Mother Earth and above Mother Earth, including like the unseen. So... The speaker will go through and talk about, like, say, if he started to talk about the water, it would be up to that speaker what they acknowledge about the waters, whether it's how it quenches our thirst or, you know, provides nutrients to everything on earth or how we use it to bathe or clean our foods, clean our clothing, clean our children, you know, use it for entertainment, to go swimming, to do all these water sports or transportation, you know, like you can imagine just how many different things that we could acknowledge about the water. So then the speaker will again say, now our minds are one. And then he'll go into something else, like say maybe the trees, and he'll acknowledge various things that the trees do for us, you know, provide food, provide shelter for small creatures, give us wood to build our homes, to maybe start fires to keep warm or to cook our foods. And then again, whatever else he wants to acknowledge. And he says, now our minds are one. And every time he acknowledges something in creation and describes some of those things that um, that we depend on those different things in creation for, then he will say, now our minds are one. And every time our... Um, our older people tell us every time that he says that now our minds are one is that's our cue to just, like I said, put everything aside, put everything else aside, worry, stress, responsibilities, laundry, groceries, whatever we got to do. Just put it all aside for a moment and just raise your mind to that appreciation and that gratitude because everything in creation is constantly working for our well-being. So this is how we're taught to um, begin to acquire and maintain our good minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty awesome teachings, I think, when we live in a world where I think where, where optimism, appreciation, and gratitude are in short supply. You know, especially these days, I think, and, and I think even for myself, when I wake up in the morning, uh, I'm not necessarily waking up with an attitude of gratitude. <laughs> I'm thinking about other things, right? And, uh, and and then I'm thinking, you know, children, right? And and the importance of, of a teaching like that and just in terms of centering uh, a child. These are the sort of thoughts that, that come into mind, and I, I think... You know, we, we tend to get up in the morning and we start rushing around and thinking about the things that we have to, to do to survive without, uh, without actually really appreciating what we already have. And so that's, you know, that's, that's, insi that's insightful and I think it's important. But I guess I had a question about um, the teachings. The teaching of the good mind and the Thanksgiving address is, is really interesting. And I'm wondering where settler Canadian folk... Uh, fit into this, mm -hmm. this idea of the long, you know, the the longhouse that's extending. Like we're here as, uh, as um, I guess guests. I mean, I think we're here permanently. <laughs> so I mean, uh, where do we fit into this? So like I said, we have prophecies. Our people have always um, lived by prophecies, um, because I think the oldest prophecy around the world is what I was taught is peace on earth. Right. And so I was taught that 
there will be a time that we all come together and learn to live with each other in peace and harmony and our whole our whole creation like the whole natural environment as well and then what i've been told is that we've always been prepared we're always prepared so even the confederacy coming together that was in preparation for colonization to come because we knew that uh, we were told that you know you need to come together with different nations you need to have this strength and and so that you have that strong support system because there's a lot of things coming. But we're taught that, you know, we're always taught things happen for a reason, right? And you always have to look at that, um, look at life that way. And that's why we're given this philosophy of the good mind, because the good mind is not just about appreciation and thankfulness and all of that, but it's also to help us to be able to process things and to reflect on things in a good way, right? So it's about, okay, so this has happened, but what is the lesson from that? What what can I take from that to make me stronger, to make me grow, to make me, um, and uh, you know, move on in life because bad things happen, right? So, um, so that's the another part of the good mind, the philosophy of the good mind, and why it's so important. So, how does this fit in? Well. Like I said, we're taught that there is the philosophy of peace on earth. And so what I was taught is that, you know, you never just, things don't just come like where everything's just a bowl of cherries. <laughs> but like throughout time, throughout different eras, throughout different things um, in this country, for example, we're at a time now that I feel that we're going into that like peace on earth and how do we work together and how do we live together and in peace and harmony and how do we, you know, um, appreciate and respect our environment. And I feel like that's where we're going. That's where we're headed now, like in Canada. So say here with Haudenosaunee people and Anishinaabe people and the Wisutin and all these different nations across Canada is that we are now being acknowledged, right? So with the release of the TRC from 2015, now Indigenous knowledge and ways of doing are starting to be appreciated and understood and sought after. So it's a really good time for Indigenous folks, even though it's, you know, there's a lot of things happening. Um, I just feel honored because I know, like, for my relatives that have been on the Indian Defense League of America and have, you know, gotten us that one day of free border crossing under the Jay Treaty, like, I remember my aunts and my cousins and stuff talking about that and how difficult that was to get that, you know, to even be heard and even to get that acknowledged. And now today looking at me teaching in the faculty of that at Wilfrid Laurier, teaching the teacher candidates, like that's a dream come true, you know, like to be able to teach teachers about who we are as Indigenous people and our ways of doing things, Indigenous pedagogy and how to indigenize their classrooms and stuff. It's really huge. So I think we're all on the right track. I think we're all moving in a good direction, you know. 
It's interesting that you say that because some of the talk right now is that reconciliation is dead, right? And so you, you mentioned the TRC, which you know the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, and and maybe maybe we could start there because there's or we could focus on that for a second because um, I'm thinking people uh, maybe they don't understand too much about that or what that whole process is about uh and then it'll that gives us maybe a little bit more context for someone to come out and say uh, reconciliation is dead because like i think as much as there is conflict right now um there seems to be a groundswell in the canadian public to you know as you say acknowledge indigenous people and even to want to stand with them for the cause of justice and and have justice for first peoples which has been a long time coming mm-hmm. um so yeah maybe I, I don't know what do you what do you have to say about that so i think we have to acknowledge and remind ourselves that there's a huge spectrum for indigenous reality because of historical atrocities, right? There's indigenous folks that are very disconnected from identity and culture and who they are as indigenous people to the other extreme of people that are very culturally sound and have their identity and maintain their ceremonies and their way of life that way. But we also have to acknowledge and remind ourselves um, that there's also a big spectrum that um, non-Indigenous people are impacted by learning the recent, I guess, recently, learning recently for most of them, um, for most non-Indigenous people in Canada, about what has happened to Indigenous people. And, you know, teaching in the faculty of ad, my students are like, it's so new to them. You know, the the things that have happened, the Indian Residential School, the Indian Act, you know, all this different legislation, all these different government policies that have impacted Indigenous health and reality for, you know, for, I want to say, at least 150-some years. But, um, yeah, I think we have to acknowledge that, and I think we have to start having those conversations about what are the intergenerational impacts on non-Indigenous people because of this history and because of people starting to know that history? So I think there's there's a lot of transition. There's a lot of hurt and pain and shame and, and you know, things that we have to remember that we're going through transitional times. And with reconciliation, it takes time to... Uh, to understand each other's hurts and pains before we can say, okay, so how do we make things work? How do we improve things to move forward? You know, the education component is excellent. And the fact that um, with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and I think there was was 94 recommendations. I forget how many of those were directed towards education, but quite a few. And one of the things that I think And I think that's actually the area that's perhaps the most powerful, Um, because what I do see in my students is that there is kind of this openness, you know, to hearing this, whereas I think amongst many of the older population, there isn't. You know, there's there's a kind of a, 
a resistance to it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so, I mean, when I look around and I, I try to feel hopeful about reconciliation, of course, there's a lot of negative talk about reconciliation. I do look at the work that's being done in classrooms and by many, uh, in particular, Indigenous pedagogues in, in the region mm-hmm. and, and the tremendous impact that those people are, are having um, on, those class, on those classrooms and on those, on those youth. Um, and so for me, that's, you know, that's where the money needs to go, I guess, if anywhere, right? I mean, obviously we have to do, we have to address, uh, land claims and we have to address sovereignty. Uh, and that's kind of fundamental to, to justice, I think, for First Peoples. But I mean, the education component is huge. And, uh, I think there's some, a lot of really great people trying to do some really great work in these colonial institutions. I did want to speak about something you mentioned earlier about the good mind in children, because I do a lot of um, events and education in the school boards, as well as at, at the museums. Um, in particular, at the regional museum, I do the forest festival. I also do their groundwater festival, and I bring this um this idea of the good mind to the children that come to my space uh, at the museum. And I talk about this with them because I was, I was probably seven, eight years old when my aunt taught me about the good mind. And um, she told me that, you know, before you get up in the morning, because you're talking about when you get up, it's just busy, busy. She said, before you put your feet on the ground, she said, look out your bedroom window and see what you notice in creation, you know? And whatever it is you start to, you notice right away, start to think, why are you thankful for that? What does that do for you? How does that help you, you know? So whether it's the birds, maybe it's a bird singing, you can start to acknowledge the different things that we utilize birds for, what birds do for the environment, um, so that you could start to gain your good mind that way. So it's really fun because I get to talk to these children. It's always children. They bring in the schools and and uh, they go around to different stations. But at my station, they, we get to learn about the good mind. And I tell them that story about my aunt teaching me how to start to obtain my good mind first thing in the morning. And it's um, really nice to see that the kids are all like, hey, I could do that, you know, and and I engage them in different ways. Like I'll start to talk about trees and I'll say, why are we thankful? And all kinds of hands go up and they're ready to, you know, share their ideas. And it's really amazing. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's what came to my mind. So I guess this ends the first episode. I just want to share a small prayer that I've taught my children um, since my oldest son was a little guy, and I encourage them to utilize this prayer every day, um, is I'll say it in my language, and then I'll tell you what it means in English. So in my Kyuga language, we say, So what that means is, thank you very much, Creator, for giving us things to be thankful for. This is a very powerful prayer. My children share it still. They share it with their friends and they share it like a Jade, my oldest daughter, when she talks publicly, she'll talk about that prayer and how it impacts her life still. Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah, great.
Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll hope you join us for episode two, where Fran outlines Haudenosaunee cultural practices and the model of government followed by the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. We'll also discuss reconciliation and what a Truth and Reconciliation Commission is, and also address the charge from some critics that reconciliation is dead. We'll also look at the historical treaty relationships through wampum belts and numbered treaties. Hope to see you soon. You've been listening to Chapter 1, the podcast series of the Kitchener Public Library. Join us next time for the unique and diverse voices of the Waterloo region.